Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Distribution matters when you're talking about evaluating dogs and cats for their dermatologic disease. And I just want to focus on a few of the different distributions we can see in cats, knowing that any hypersensitivity disorder can present with any of these presentations. But what are some of the more typical things we see with certain basic distributions that we should really be ruling out to get to a particular diagnosis? So for example, if we start with a stereotypical bald belly cat, which is one of the most common things that you are going to see in your practice with feline dermatology, we really want to be considering a few things. Is it, you know, stark alopecia where all the hair is completely removed or just partial alopecia? Is the cat itchy anywhere else? How are they feeling? Do we have something like a cat who's older, doesn't feel well, and then presents with shiny skin on the belly? They're losing weight, running a fever, because that can be a particular diagnosis, such as perineoplastic alopecia, which is not that common for us to see for the rest of the bald belly cats, but that's going to be much different than a cat who comes in who's just an over-grooming cat. But anytime I have a cat who comes in and let's just say they're that stereotypical over grooming cat to the abdomen, my first discussion, and you guys have heard this before, is what type of flea prevention they're on. Knowing that this really depends on where you are geographically. So for example, I was just giving a presentation last week, um, Can West in Banff, which is gorgeous and you need to get out to Canada if you've not been there. Um, But even within different, you know, areas of that country, same in the U.S., we, there was differences on how important flea control is. Even within certain places like provinces or territories, they would have different opinions depending on if they're in a rural area or a more urban area. So obviously it does depend on where you are. But for a majority of us, any cat who's over grooming, we do want to make sure we rule out flea allergy dermatitis. Big win. If it's a flea allergy dermatitis cat, that's the easiest allergy I can give them. So I definitely want to rule it out. What's important is for me, I'm I'm primarily using the isoxazolines, which in the United States with cats would be Revolution Plus, Cordelio Cat, Brevecto, NexGuard Combo, which you can go back a few episodes ago and listen to the flea allergy lectures um, or podcast episodes where I dive in a bit more to these. The benefit, obviously, of the isoxazolines being that you're ruling out other ectoparasites, but they're also just very well-tolerated, fast, effective flea preventions that just kind of allow us to feel pretty confident we're hopefully not dealing with a flea allergy. That's not going to put a force field around that cat. Clearly, they could still get exposed, but we want those fleas to be controlled within its immediate population. This would include making sure other pets in the household are on good flea prevention. So the other dogs and cats in the household, we need to ask, what are they on? What is their risk? What is their exposure? Because oftentimes owners will just have the itchy quote unquote cat on prevention. Same happens in my canine patients. 
But again, not a forest field. We need to make sure that we're controlling every animal in the household because I have had situations where an allergic cat is flaring because the other cats in the household aren't on anything. Or I've had situations where uh, there is a stray cat who hangs around their area a lot that's not on anything. And just by treating them, we've seen improvement. So bald belly cats, certainly we're going to want to rule out flea allergy. Other allergies can cause bald belly cats too. But it's the first thing I primarily want to rule out. Sometimes cats will show us that more stereotypical dorsal lumbar sacral region, like what we see in dogs. Um, You'll see cats kind of whip their head around and really ferociously chew at that area with some of their flea allergies. But I've also seen cats who just completely itch all over the place with flea allergies as well. Another case presentation, a distribution that you can see commonly in allergic cats are facial, head and neck, paritis. So excoriations on the face, really shaking their head, really just scratching at their face. You know, assuming that they're on good isoxazoline flea control, then the first thing I'm going, that it is a stereotypical um, allergic hypersensitivity case. You know, you can get things like notoedries that can cause a lot of head and neck scratching. But again, we're assuming they're on good isoxazoline, which should help rule that out. Then we would want to rule out a food allergy. There's one study, multi-center study, that looked at distribution of lesions in cats. And the only one that showed an increased percentage, that was significant, 60 to 80% of cats that scratched towards their head and neck, they were able to diagnose with food allergy. So we do see cats that if they do tend to uh, scratch towards their head and neck, that they might have a higher percentage chance of having food allergy. So then we're going to want to make sure we put them on a diet trial. You know, certainly we've talked about diet trials in the past, lots of options, hydrolyzed, novel protein, the importance of making sure it is prescription-based, and also knowing that cat's history of what they've been on before so we can minimize the chance of cross residues um, from if they're trying over-the-counter food, but also obviously cross reactions like duck can cross-react with chicken. So we want to be considerate of that. I will knock out their itch with some sort of medication if they are really uncomfortable and then make sure we're doing cytology so we can evaluate if there's any infection or else they won't seem to improve. Third common distribution we see in cats is eosinophilic granuloma complex. It's really important to remember this is a clinical presentation, not a diagnosis. If you biopsy a cat and it comes back with eosinophilic granuloma, you're not done. We got to figure out why it's there. So we have to figure out the underlying cause. Um, often it is some sort of hypersensitivity. The three different presentations that can happen with eosinophilic granuloma complex, one be it e- being an eosinophilic granuloma, they're often either in the mouth, on the face, caudal thighs. Um, they can be on the chin. They are pretty firm, like oval or linear plaques or nodules. And sometimes you do have to biopsy to diagnose them to rule out other things like neoplasia. Eosinophilic plaque being the second uh, clinical sign you can see with EGC. This usually is where cats can lick with their tongue. So we often see them on the trunk and the belly. That's pretty classic. They'll be really well circumscribed areas. They're pink, um, usually infected. So it is important to do your cytology. They can get so bad between that trauma and just licking it over and over again that they can get actually necrotic in certain areas. And then the third presentation is indolent ulcer, which you also can uh, hear called rodent ulcer. 
Happens on the upper lip, near the philtrum, or adjacent to the canine teeth. Unilateral, bilateral. Sometimes they're really mild, so you owners don't even notice them. But when I'm doing the exam, I can find them if I look at the lips. But sometimes they're really significant. We have some pretty incredible pictures of cats just having their face basically eaten away by these ulcers. So it's for sure something that we want to manage and make sure we're identifying and doing a complete exam on these cats. Now, assuming, again, I've ruled out food allergy, I've ruled out flea allergy dermatitis because any of those also can cause a form of EGC, then we that's how we get to the diagnosis of feline atopic skin syndrome, which is the official name at this point for feline environmental allergies. We don't refer to them as atopic dermatitis. We refer to them as FASS, feline atopic skin syndrome. can look like all sorts of things, seasonal, non-seasonal symptoms and history. Some of them have asthmatic signs, so you do want to ask about any respiratory signs the cat can have. But everything we talked about to this point, paritis, over-grooming, chewing, sometimes hairballs if they're over-grooming a lot, scratching, They can get infection on them. Sometimes they get otitis, so not quite as often as dogs do from allergies. It's ultimately a diagnosis of rule out, something that we want to make sure that we're doing the food trial if we need to. They're on good ectoparasite prevention. It does seem like it's an allergic cat and not something else that's not related to allergies to come to that conclusion. And then ultimately, so many treatment options, as we've talked about in the past, you know, steroids, being cautious of them, but we do have to use them. Cyclosporin, Apoquil, though that is off-label and not recommended by the manufacturer. So we've talked about some, you know, we just don't have the safety studies with that, but cats are difficult and sometimes we have off-label use of that. But really also considering immunotherapy, if you are able to refer these cats, because with cats being so limited on treatment options, what's on label, what they'll accept, many cats actually do extremely well with immunotherapy long-term. But we have to make sure if we allergy test that we're doing it because we're going to put them on immunotherapy, not because we just want to see if they have allergies, because we know even cats that aren't allergic at all can give us positives on those tests. So it's something we just want to be really thoughtful of. And in the fourth presentation, not an allergy in cats, which is a little unique compared to what we see in dogs, are paw lesions. So it can happen with cats. I'm not saying it's impossible, but when remember when we see those claw fold lesions like perulent debris in the claw fold, um, if we see paw you know infections that come in or claw fold infections that are not responding, for cats, most of us are going to consider pemphigus foliaceus above anything else, which is abnormal because we see claw fold infections and paw disease all the time in dogs with allergies. But that's just something that's a bit unique about cats. Can it happen? Sure, I've had it happen, but more often than not, especially if it's really purulent, it is pemphigus foliaceous in a cat if they have claw fold lesions. Look for other areas like the ear flaps and on the abdomen. Look at the nasal planum, see how the cat's acting in general. Some of them get fevers or don't feel good. The difficult part is a lot of these cats go on steroids for suspected allergies and they get better. Steroids can treat a lot of things. Um, so you really have to look into the history. And sometimes I have to just take a break from the steroids or taper them off to see what the lesions look like. So if I am in a biopsy, um, I can assure I'm going to get an appropriate diagnosis. And so I can actually see what the lesions look like. Or if the owner has pictures of when the cat was previously flaring before steroids were used, that can be helpful too. 
So distribution of all of these things is so important. As you can see, there are some studies, like we talked about food allergy and cats scratching their head and neck. That can be really helpful. We also want to make sure we're covering our basics, doing our cytology, doing ectoparasite control, because cat allergies, cat derm management is very difficult in many of these cats. So if we can get an appropriate diagnosis, that's obviously going to be helpful. But if we can consider something like immunotherapy long-term to minimize things like oral medications or therapies like long-acting injectable steroids, which obviously can have a lot of side effects, that is going to be much healthier for the cat long-term and less frustrating for the owner. Um, If we can minimize some of those meds they're having to give at home, that traditionally some cats tend to be a bit resistant to. 